0: All right, we are live. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Spilling Ink. We are the talk show that takes you behind the book to meet the authors and professionals in the publishing industry. And of course, before we get started, we have to give a shout out to Creative Edge, who is our sponsor for the show. They provide us with the ability to stream to both Facebook and YouTube when we do our shows every Saturday. So thank you to Creative Edge. Creative Edge is our, let's see, hold on. Ah. I lost my screen, sorry. Creative Edge is your brand, your future, and they are the advocates for collaboration and believers in partnership in the ever-changing literary industry. At the end of the show, check the notes below and you'll have a link to Creative Edge if you're looking for marketing for your book. So, hey, Jane, it's just me and you today hosting. Uh (laughs) Hello, how you doing? (laughs) It's just us flying solo. That's okay, maybe maybe Jason's kind of hiding in the comments section, we'll see.
1: Possibly.
0: <laughs> so everybody's surviving our what is this third or fourth week of quarantine now? I don't know. I've been here since May 4th. <laughs> so
2: so we, we had somebody come in and do carpets. So I don't think I've left the house out, you know, like twice since then. <laughs> <So> yes.
3: <laughs>
1: yeah, doing okay. doing okay. Doing
3: yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I losing track of space and time, but uh the seasons, you know, it's it's here, spring is here, so it's uh comforting to see the buds, you know, bloom, everything coming up and changing outside at least instead of the same repeat, like we were talking about Groundhog Day inside. Outside is changing, at least. Yeah, you know, that's true. It's
0: been pretty nice. It's been uh, kind of rainy on on well, you guys are both on the west coast. Right, so right. A lot more rain than normal, which is refreshing.
2: Yeah. We had snow yesterday. <laughs> No. 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 welcome to the northeast it was you know 60 degrees a couple days ago then we had snow and now it's kind of cold but
1: yeah <laughs> is that
0: that saying from new england if you don't like the weather wait a minute
3: wait a minute yeah
0: exactly
2: exactly
3: we're a mile high here um in arizona we're not down in the valley down in um, phoenix we're up in prescott so we're a mile high so we'll get we had snow called for last earlier this week and and it did bit a little bit, but Flagstaff is about 2,000 feet higher than us and they get the full hit of everything. So we just got rain, which was wonderful. We'll take the rain. No more snow. We've had enough this year.
0: Amen for that. I love it when it rains, but you know, living in the desert, we rarely see it. So it's like everyone goes to the window going, Oh my God, what is this water falling from the sky? Oh, rain! Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we should probably do some introductions. Bruce, you've been on our show a couple of times, so we're going to let Anne do her introduction
3: first. How's that sound? Yeah, yeah sure. Tell oh, us yeah. about you and what you write. Okay. Anne Charles, uh, I write a mixture of mystery with paranormal, uh, adventure, <clears throat> humor, usually a little romance. So it's a mixed genre mess, what comes out. But it's mostly, um, most of them are mystery based. Uh, It's just a lot of stuff thrown in. So I'm not hardcore criminal stuff. Um, Not really Nancy Drew, not cozies at all. More of, you know, there's an edge to it. I have some language and my mom calls them spicy when she tells people (laughs) about them. So, and I say, maybe not at church, maybe we just talk about it outside. <laughs> so, <laughs> spicy, um, just, you know, having a fun time. Blue collar, a lot of it, um, the crimes are usually, the paranormal is crazy stuff, you know, and then there's, uh, I have five different ongoing series that I'm working on. So it keeps me hopping in the different, you know, whatever I'm working on. And um, each of them are a little bit different, but then I try to, for the most of it. four of them are crossover, so the characters move, you know, within all the different series. So that's kind of in a nutshell um, what I write and, and what keeps me at the computer every day.
0: Now, do you have like a regular writing schedule where you try and get certain number of words in or certain number of pages in a day?
3: N- yes and no. I mean, right now I'm trying to get the 11th book in my Deadwood mystery series finished. Um, and I've been pushing hard since April, or not April, February. And so, you know, for a while there it was 2,000 words a day. The last two weeks have been closer to 3,000 words a day, um, which gets kind of grueling for me. I'm not one of those authors that will say, oh, I can just write tons of words all the time. You know, that's not me. Um, so 3,000 words a day is pretty heavy hitting for me because I, you know, I have a family and, and life going on too here. So um, right now with the lockdown, you, you know, just wake up roll out of bed eventually get to the computer and then write and stop about midnight. Everybody's quiet again around me and I go, Oh, it's been, you know, that 12 hours now, time to get to bed again and start all over again. So um, in the midst of writing a book. I'll have a heavier schedule when I'm not ugh, maybe a thousand words to 15 a day is 1500 a day. And that's, that's all I want to do. Cause I want to breathe. And then, you know, you guys know, marketing takes up tons yeah. of time. So I need to put a lot of time towards marketing when I can.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely. I, I like the thousand word a day goal and, and I haven't been following it. That's usually what I kind of aim for. Right. If I get more great. Um if I don't, thousand words isn't that hard to to write, doesn't take that long to write.
3: Right.
2: right. It's, two, it's two 20 20-minute sprints, really. If yeah, you, you know, if you look at it that way. Right.
0: Yeah, and and doing the sprints has been helpful because I, you know, like you said, with the quarantine and with people at home and it's hard some days to to actually find the time to sit down and hear yourself think, let alone write the words. And uh, doing those just dedicated sprints just kind of kicks you in the pants and makes you do it, makes you sit down and find the time. So I I really enjoy doing the sprints.
3: Those are my, yeah, blocking out the headlines, blocking out the news, try to block out everything and just push forth. Um, Fiction's not even as crazy as real life now it seems like so. (laughs) The real stuff is out there making us look bad.
2: Yeah,
0: Yeah, dystopian and post apocalyptic have all moved to current events now. Yeah, Yeah,
1: exactly.
2: And and Joe asked, Are we in the same room? No, we just like the same color for our kitchens. (laughs) (laughs) We like red kitchens. It's awesome. (laughs) 50% of authors appreciate red for their
0: background colors. There we go. we got like the dark and the light going on. I here. know. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Well, speaking of dark then, Bruce, go ahead and reintroduce yourself to us. I know you've been on before, but some, yeah. some of the audience members may not know you.
4: Okay. Um, well, uh, I write, well, currently I'm writing paranormal uh, nonfiction uh, kind of memoirs. I've I just finished my trilogy Uh, The third one just came out, uh, Timeless Trinity. So that's the 89 different paranormal stories that have happened to me ranging everything from ghosts, near death experience, telepathy, telekinesis, mediumship, and even alien contact. So a little bit of everything. And uh, this is a a departure for me because I'm a history professor by day, I guess and a paranormal professor by night, so <laughs> I guess you can put it that way. So, um, yeah, in 2016, I started writing these uh, paranormal uh, memoirs, and most of what I've written is uh, non-fiction history, and political science, and, you know, more standard topics, although I did write one novel for, uh, for uh, middle grade students, so it which was a real challenge and i've written plays that have been produced and stuff so i've done a little bit of that um and uh, anyway that's just kind of an introduction to me as a a writer so i uh yeah it it was it was hard to make that decision because i didn't know how it would be accepted because it's i'm not writing fiction i'm writing non-fiction so you're kind of hanging yourself out there and and see what what's going to happen and um actually, it's been a good, good experience. So
0: that was going to be my next question is how's the reception been?
4: Yeah, for the most part, very good. You know, you get your internet trolls here and there who uh, question certain things. But uh, I, you know, every once in a while, I'll get a, uh, like one person, kind of scary and ominous, they were quoting Leviticus to me. And I thought, what does this mean? Am I going to be stoned now? I mean, you know, are they going to, I don't know what they were getting at, but I think it has something to do with mediumship. You know, I think that's in Leviticus, but anyway, so, um, but it's all good stuff, mostly good. And uh, the books seem to sell okay. And I get uh, acceptance from the college where I teach because I teach a paranormal course too. I teach history, uh, you know, well, right now we're teaching everything online, but uh, I teach a paranormal course in the evening for the community. And uh, it's been we always have at least two dozen students in that class.
2: Okay. So
4: yeah, it's been well-received actually. Mm-hmm. So all my fears were not really founded as it turned out.
2: Everybody's kind of interested in the supernatural anyway. So yes. it's, you know, yeah, we all you know, wonder and, and have had things happen in our lives or mm-hmm. you know, in, in instances that seem to be way too coincidental to be
1: yeah. like,
2: natural. <laughs>
4: Exactly. The the supernatural is natural and the paranormal is normal to
1: me.
3: (laughs) Oh, I love that. I took I took three classes when I lived up in Washington. Paranormal at at the community college at night. Mm -hmm. Um, Getting to go to is one of the haunted, most haunted houses in Washington, the state of Washington. Mm -hmm.
1: Um,
3: Multiple times we went there and did um, different, you know, with all the different equipment. Um, Mm -hmm. It was it was so fun. We had such a good time and I used it, I did that because in the one of the series I read right, the Deadwood Mystery Series, um, I've meeting uh, all this paranormal and supernatural stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I really wanted to get in there with uh, a paranormal investigator and, and mm-hmm. a team and really get the feel of it more and and experience it firsthand and it was one of my favorite things, you know, that I've ever gotten to do yeah. through college courses. So um I love it. And I wanted to ask you what history, what what do you specialize in or what time period?
4: Uh, modern US history and my, uh, if you really focus it down the cold war, Vietnam war. So uh, what they call diplomatic history, but it's really the history of America's wars. Okay. So that's kind of my specialty and I was in the army and, mm-hmm. and so I, you know, kind of the naturally, that's what I gravitated towards. And, uh, but I also mm-hmm. written books about uh, women's leadership and uh i was inspired after my mom died in 1990. everything i write it's always i'm compelled to write it but you know i don't really choose it it chooses me and then i have to carry out the mission and then something else comes up you know right so that's uh you know that's that's what i uh, do and uh but yeah modern u.s history that i teach early american history too
3: mm-hmm.
4: uh, but my specialty is modern american history
3: Interesting. That's what my my daughter's doing the Cold War right now. Seventh grade level, not quite what you're doing, but just getting into all that.
4: Um, post well, actually, you know, some of the best history books are written for middle grade and younger children. Actually, they get right to the point. Right. Like they're not they're not trying to impress their academic colleagues. You know, oh. they just they just you know get right to it without too much pomp and circumstance. You know, which I really like. Right.
3: There's a kid I, um, in her grade, he's wonderful. But when I met him first, when he was in second grade, I was working in the school library, volunteering, um, you know, just shelving books and helping out. And he's, he's a wonderful kid. And he, he would come up to me and remember second grade, and he was so into big machines and airplanes Mm -hmm. and wars. And he, he finally came up, it was toward the end of the school year. And he said, can you get me a book on the cold war? And I said, you do know that's not a war fought out in the blizzard, right? And he goes, what?
1: <laughs> <laughs> They're so literal I loved, it. I loved it. I loved it. And he's still,
3: he's uh, really good friends with my daughter still, you know, five, six years later. So, and I still tell him, you do know about the Cold War, Cold War, now. and he's like, I know. <laughs> I, I just love that. He was, that's funny. he wanted yeah. Be like big machines for the snow, but it wasn't, and he was so let down by the cold. Oh, I
1: imagine,
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's awesome. Looks like we got a comment from one of our uh, viewers asking the difference between paranormal and supernatural.
4: Yeah, it's it's always a good question. Uh, in my mind, when I think of the paranormal, I think of uh, less. Uh, you know, more like telepathy, telekinesis, mediumship, you know, these things that uh, actually have been tested in, in laboratories and stuff that they've actually proven e- exist. Uh, and uh, when I think of the supernatural, I think of more the practice of uh, different types of, uh, you know, uh, I'm going to say more like the occult, I guess that's how I would picture it. I'm not adverse to the, the name, you know, I, I I use both, but that's more where it leans towards in my mind, the supernatural.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Whereas
4: the uh, the paranormal is more of the uh, uh I don't I if I could say scientific, I guess.
2: But yeah, I was gonna say paranormal is more of the scientific person. So. So.
4: Because they call them parapsychologists, so yeah, you know right. people that study the paranormal. So
2: mm-hmm. yeah. Hold on, Rebecca
0: just said paranormal. Oh sorry, supernatural has gods and deities. <clears throat> <laughs>
1: Interesting. Yeah. Okay.
0: Religious belief kind of stuff. So, would you say you know you, you you've got ghosts versus magic? Those would be a, a separating line between paranormal and supernatural.
4: Yeah, I you know I try not to to draw too hard and fast lines because really it all comes down to consciousness and and if you talk to Dean Raden, who's like the the number one paranormal researcher in America. Uh, he says that it that it it's really all about uh attention and intention attention to something and then the intention of making something happen so whether it's telepathy like if you want to communicate with somebody without speaking yeah. if you have the attention to it and you have what what i call focused calm and then you have the intention of making that connection then you have a good chance of it happening or like remote viewing, which is also called clairvoyance, you know, mm-hmm. that type of thing. Right. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, where does astral projection fit into that?
4: Astral projection is, uh, I would think that that, well, that's traveling through time and space through consciousness,
3: mm-hmm.
4: uh, and you can go anywhere in the universe, you know, it, that's the whole idea, but you have to reach, you have to be in that meditative state and then be able to, uh, to travel to different places. People do that when they do uh, remote viewing some of some of the remote viewers actually travel to the location and look at it from above as if they're flying above it or hovering above it. So at least that's my view of it.
1: Mm-hmm. You know,
4: when, when I do meditation and when I do uh, uh mediumship, uh, I don't really leave my body. I'm just still in my body, but I have a connection. So I don't do a lot of astral traveling and, uh, I don't know if I have a passport for that type of (laughs) 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 stuff.
3: You have to self-quarantine when you go, too. Yeah,
4: exactly.
0: I don't think self-quarantining would have to work if you're you're doing out of body. I mean,
4: that's true. You would think so, yeah. You would think it wouldn't be a problem. Yeah.
0: Interesting. Now, I've got to ask about mediumship. So Mm -hmm. is that where you're acting as a conduit to speak? to, um, I guess, yeah. to other dimensions or other- um- You're
4: talking to dead people, basically. <laughs> okay. yeah. yeah, you're talking to dead people. Let's let's just mm-hmm. say what it is, you know? <laughs> and, and they don't mind, actually. You know, what interesting thing about the dead is that they, they're very honest, you know, unlike us, and I'm not saying us, the four of us, but a lot of people, you know, you have a persona, a mask that we wear. The dead don't have them. They don't care, you know? They're already, they've done. been there, done that. They're, you know, they're in the spirit world and you get some very direct, interesting uh, responses from them. Uh, so
2: what's the most interesting response you've gotten?
4: Uh, their insights, their insights are very good and they're very direct. They, they don't pull any punches. They will tell you exactly what they're thinking and they they don't present themselves to be anything other than what they are, which is pure spirit in the spirit world and uh, their view on things. I think I listen to them very carefully. I don't necessarily agree with everything, but I do listen to them. And and some of them, uh, well, like for instance, I was asked by a a lady to contact her father, uh, which I was able to, and they also have to want to talk to you. It's not like a medium can like grab somebody and say, you must talk to me. So they have to be willing. And most of them are, actually a lot of them are, but Sometimes they'll they'll tell you things that uh, maybe you have to think. Should I really say that to that living person? Because maybe that's going to hurt them. Because the whole idea is to help people. They're they're grieving, you know, and they want a connection. They want proof of life after life, as I call it. And you want to give them that. But sometimes you get information like uh, that seems very negative, and you have to be very careful. So it, it's not as well, it's not easy for one thing, but it's also there's a lot of ethics involved with it, too, that I never thought about that before. I thought, oh, you just talk to dead people and that's it. Uh, but you hear stuff that maybe you shouldn't necessarily share. Hmm. And and then a lot of people ask you to do it and you give them information and then they they you know, <laughs> they're expecting 100 percent accurate information. Like, well, you got the person's name and their last name and their profession. But you didn't get their middle name correct, so it's all hogwash. You know, it's all.
1: <laughs> well, can you
4: understand? You know, the fact that you're talking to a dead person, and if you don't get it 100 percent correct, you're talking to a dead person. You <laughs> know, that's the thing. You know, accept as that. So it's not that I get upset with people; it's just that people expect it to be like some kind of Harry Potter stuff. You
0: know, you know you just pick up the phone yeah. and call them. Which,
1: yeah,
4: which, which it isn't. So. It's uh, but it, it's it's amazing that it even work. how it works, I don't really know. I don't think anybody knows how it works. Hmm. But I've had this, you know, been doing this well, seriously, uh with some kind of uh management of it the last four years, but my whole life I've you know, dead people have spoken to me, but I didn't know how to control it or manage it or anything.
0: That's gonna be scary yeah. when that first happens to you as a as a child.
4: Yeah. At an at a open casket funeral, it was pretty good. Oh, bad. oh. <laughs> yeah, so, that, so you learn pretty quick to, you, well, you try to, the first thing I learned was how to turn it off. That's really important.
1: Mm-hmm. Otherwise, uh, yeah. you can't go
4: to parties, you know, I don't like parties anyway, but, uh, you know, because you're just picking up on everything, and you've mm-hmm. got to be able to turn it off and enjoy yourself, because otherwise, you're not reading minds, but nobody really reads a mind. They read the intention Hmm. Comes down to attention and intention, right? So you right. can read people's intentions, which is kind of scary sometimes. You're in a room full of people, you don't want to know all this stuff. You just want to go in there, have a good time, and go home. You don't want to know their, you know, whatever their intentions are, unless it's a life and death situation. That would be different in a social a, thing.
1: Right. There
0: was a, a meme or a, a thing going around Facebook not too long ago that people were kind of freaking out about how some people do have that inner monologue and some people don't have an inner monologue and I can just imagine, you know, if you're, you're trying to read other people's thoughts or whatever, and you run into somebody who doesn't have the inner monologue, would you just get images? Or?
4: Sometimes they're images, sometimes they're words, sometimes it's, uh, you'll actually see, like, I, I will see handwriting, like, and I don't, in like, uh, usually it's, uh, like cursive. And I don't write cursive. I'm a block writer. I never learned how to do cursive. So I, I know it's not me. So it's this kind of script. And um, so there's different ways. Sometimes images, you know, I did uh, a reading for a lady. It was impromptu. It was at a book signing. And she said, oh, you can do a reading for me. And I, I, I don't really, you know, I'm not set up to do it. And she wanted, it was a dead husband thing, you know. So it was very important to her. And what I got was a pipe. An image of a pipe and the color green and I told her and she said oh my god my husband smoked a pipe and I told him to stop and he did stop because he loved me so much and my favorite color is green and I, okay well I picked up on some you know it could be coincidence but I think not but I didn't hear any words from this guy just those images were thrown my way so it, it depends on the on the spirit on the person maybe a really wordy person you'll hear words and See writing and stuff. Hmm. We'll find out what happens when I pass away, what other people pick up from me. We'll see. (laughs) Probably way too much, too many words, probably. (laughs) It's funny. Will you just shut up, please? Just get him to stop.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You're quiet the voices, Richard. I thought that was fascinating, though, when when people were talking about not having an inner monologue, because if you don't Mm -hmm. have it, that's normal for you. But for those who do think in an inner monologue,
2: you can't imagine what it would be like to not have that.
1: Right.
2: Well, I know when I was when my daughter had a writing assignment when she was in school, it was how to describe a rainbow. I said, well, just close your eyes and see it Mm -hmm. because I can do that. It's very easy for me. And, And both she and my husband looked at me like. What are you talking about? You know, because they don't. The, my husband, who who you know has an architectural background, can actually see things almost in that same way. But but the idea of seeing and being able to write what you see from you know internally, they just didn't get that. Huh. And I'm like, I thought everybody was like me. Nope. <laughs> mm-hmm. My son is exactly like me. You know, my son's got the Alec McBeal tune. <laughs> <laughs> moments but yeah it's very different to find out or or to be have that happen and go oh no but you know right everybody else doesn't have this monologue or doesn't see pictures when they can close their eyes and, and call on something from from maybe a past or just something they've seen on television they can't do that no. Now, okay. from a writing perspective,
0: <laughs> we, we always use the excuse we, we can't hear our characters or um, um, we can't, you know, visualize the scene. So when you're writing, are you visualizing it? Or are you hearing everything? Are you seeing the words that appear?
2: Not seeing the words. I'm seeing the scene. I'm a okay. very visual person, you know, and and, you know, I could... I mean, I went to school for television production. So, you know, all of that visual stimulation, I can see. And in the beginning, my writing was all visual. There wasn't all the underlying stuff because that's what I was seeing in writing. So yes, you know, and and uh, I'm, I'm
0: the opposite. I, I hear everything, which is why I can't write if it's too noisy. So I have to actually sit and hear the characters speak and my first drafts are always, they're almost like screenplays because they are almost running dialogue with very, very little stage direction. And then the second draft is where I can come back in and I can start to concentrate and visualize the scene around them.
2: And, and I can write in any environment except for right now. You know, it, it, you know but I, could, I could be sitting there TV on the kids arguing and not hear a thing because I'll be in the story. Mm. It's like I can actually physically s- step out of my body into the story and my hands go. <laughs> See,
3: it's not, you know, the red background, because I'm like you. It's a, uh, when I, instead of reading a lot of books, if I need to kind of get some creative juices flowing, I pick movies um, because visual. And then I think about how would I take that movie and put it into words? How will I describe that scene? How would I do that? You know. Um, but it's, it's much more, I do love books, but, you know, and I don't have as much time to read a bunch of books anymore because of the writing. So I find myself going to movies that I watch over and over and think, okay, what's going on? Why am I hooked enough to keep watching this thing repeatedly and then try to break it down? But like you, it's a visual thing. So the red kitchen and right.
2: But when I read, I step into the, it's almost like I physically step into the book. And I can see it and feel it and taste it. And it's just, I guess, bizarre. And that's why I can shut the entire world down Mm. when I'm doing this stuff. When I'm in a writing zone, I mean, I've had my child right by my chair going, mom, 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 mom. (laughs) And finally my husband goes, Jane! (laughs) And I'm like, oh, people are here.
4: (laughs) Do, do any of you have that thing where you can, uh, you can hear uh, colors or you can see sound? You know, I think I forgot what there's an official name for it. But what they found, research has shown that a lot of people who can do remote viewing have that condition where they can or that skill or whatever, where you can, uh, you know, the cross senses, you know, you can hear, not you can, you can see sound and you can uh, hear colors. It's kind of an interesting thing. I, I, I think I might have a little bit of that, but not as strong as some of these people who I because I'm not really a good remote viewer, but the people who are, m- most of them have that.
2: I mean, I can close my eyes if I'm listening to music and see the music in colors. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, that's, and, and that's what I used to do in college when I used to get migraines. I just close myself in the room, turn up, turn up the radio really loud on Creedence Clearwater Revival because it had a consistent bass beat and just close my eyes and that would alleviate the the headache. And I, it would put me to sleep. My roommates could never understand how I could sleep with something <laughs> just so loud and going like this, right. but I don't know, you know, so I have had dreams of people when I'm under wicked high stress, I've had dreams of stuff in the future. So I believe in that, you know? Yeah. That's,
3: that's scary.
2: That That is so scary. It's, it's always inconsequential situations. Like, you know, it, it's very benign situations. So it's, it's, you know, when I'm under high stress, it's like my mind opens up and says, look, there is... Something for you to look forward to. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. In, in that
0: sense, I could see that being okay. But if it's like warnings of what's going to come, those those are the scariest because then you've got that deja vu that hits you, and you're like, oh my god, I've done this before. I know how this is mm-hmm. going to end. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I've only written about a real person once. Never. There,
4: again. There's proof of the paranormal right there. Precognition, deja. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yep.
4: And, and most people have that most people do have that
2: yeah but i don't think they recognize it or they don't remember their dreams that's right. a good thing because i remember almost every one of my dreams and i know the difference between you know a, a, a wacko Jane dream and one of these right
1: <laughs> a, a precognitive dream, dream. yeah
2: There's the clarity versus the fogginess of a mm-hmm. of dream so yeah.
0: The only dreams I ever remember are the nightmares and usually after trying to translate them, it it has to do with a lot of mental stress trying to warn me uh, to to stop whatever it is I'm doing, but it's never like a direct, this is going to happen. It's usually like key things or clues that once I I remember the dream, I can figure it out. Hmm. That's interesting. And then there was quiet. Yeah. <laughs> Richard answered my question up here just a yeah. few seconds ago. Let me get back worried. to it. <clears throat> Hold on, where'd it go? All right, he says, how do each of you convert the inner monologue to your book? I'm not quite sure what we mean by that question. Is, is he talking about um, how we th- you hear the character voices and put that on paper? Or are you, are you talking about reading it and visualizing it let's see if he comments back usually the comments are minutes behind
4: well yeah. i i i would say that um i i hear the character is speaking to me and then i write down what they say i always say at a certain point the characters take over and uh and then i just let it go i mean i obviously have to edit or you know format or whatever but uh they do start to to take over so i i do hear and i hear they're Accents, and I hear their personality—you know—the personalities come through, and uh, and it's always fascinating to me getting to know these characters.
2: Yeah, when I finished one of the series, they wouldn't shut up, and I had to do more. Yeah, they yeah. just wouldn't go away.
1: <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I like
0: writing the series so much easier when your characters want you to keep
2: going. It's, it's yeah. when they yeah. don't talk to you that you have problems. It's been like, yeah, I'm, I'm on vacation. See you later. <laughs> It's
4: like, where do I need to go? <laughs> yeah. See, so writing's a form of mediumship, then, I guess. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> you got to learn how to turn it off, too, not just turn it on.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, so what happens when you run into a situation where your characters want to do something, and you're hearing them, but you don't want them to do that because the story demands the plot goes a different way?
3: Ah, plot. Just do it,
4: right? Yeah. Yeah. Age-old question.
2: Yeah, <laughs> have yeah. <laughs> they have surprised me before, even yeah. on paper. You know, when I just let them go, they do surprise the shit out of me. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> so, all right. He clarified his question here. He's talking about uh, uh, hearing the dialogue and writing it down. Uh, but are you writing around it to develop your characters? So I guess adding the depth well, when, when you hear the characters speak, you're only hearing what they're saying. You still have to add the other layers to it
1: mm-hmm. right
4: yeah yeah the the uh, between the lines, yeah, you, know, you have to understand their intention and then build that in because they might not be as as honest as uh, you want them to be. So then you have to understand that as the channeler of your character's dialogue.
0: <laughs> it's a little bit like yeah. being a journalist almost. You're, you're writing yeah. down as much as you're getting from them and then filling in the gaps.
1: Yeah. I,
0: I
4: think that's that's part of it. Yeah.
3: Well, it comes in, I don't know about you guys, but a lot of times, sometimes it all comes out right on the, you know, those beautiful moments when it all comes to the dialogue, the narrative. Everything you want, you know, the descriptive parts and you're painting the scene. And then there's most days when, okay, first let's get the dialogue of it down. Then let's go back and start showing body language what's going on really. And then let's, oh, we better start working on where they're actually at for this scene and let's paint that in too. So I sometimes I think of it more as yeah, a painting where you go in and we're coloring in the lines. You know, first mm-hmm. I do the lines and then I work on coloring in the lines till I feel like finally there and then I always say why can't it just come out good like that other time? Every time why do I have to work at this some days but that's after all the life going on around us makes a difference in that too yeah
2: stepping into the writing zone is so wonderful but when it's when you have to layer like like you're saying it does feel like it's pulling teeth you know, yeah, yeah, you know, and then you have to add in the senses and the scenery and the you know all of that stuff. And it's like, why? You're right. It's like, come on, snap, uh-huh.
0: <laughs> get it all out. That, that's normal for me though, because that's exactly how my first drafts look. It's yeah. just I hear the characters and I write down everything, and then go back and go, okay, now what were they doing while they were speaking? And then I have to. Prepare all the pieces over the top of that. It never comes out just as a beautiful picture on that first, at least first, sometimes second draft.
1: Mm.
4: You know, that's that's the, uh, no, I agree with that. And it's uh, the cool thing about uh, uh, writing for theater, you know, a, a theater play mm-hmm. is that you're, you know what you bring to the rehearsal room is just the beginning. And then the actors take over And then you rewrite and revise and then the lighting director and the director and the stage manager and the scene. I mean, they all it's like you're uh, you're you're building you're all it's so communal. You're building the story all together. And uh, it it, I I loved it. I loved that that sense of community that uh, I went to every single rehearsal, even the tech rehearsals where they were just talking about lighting. I was it was explained to me that lighting is kind of like painting, like you were using the painting analogy, you're painting with light to set right. moods and so forth. And I think it makes, it made me a better writer in another sense because I here it was in theater. It's all broken down to these people that do these specialties. I'm just providing words in the story, but they're doing everything else. And, and yeah, they need my input every once in a while. Like they'll do something and that's not right. That's not going to work. But for the most part, I just sit back and look and marvel at what happens. Right. So
0: now how many of you as you're doing your revisions actually Act out some of your scenes.
3: Well, I talk to myself, but and read it out loud. But I mean, full on act out. No, no, I, I'm a horrible actor. So I've
2: done a couple with my son and Jaquito Mopes. Oh, yeah, that's fight. what you're talking. You're yeah. the fight scenes. You know, that, that's
0: actually how I, I tend to write a lot of my fight scenes. Is I will get out some of my, <laughs> my play weapons and work with them and and see Good. how moves work and what works and what doesn't work. And, you know, whether it makes sense to do something or, you know, if I can get some feedback from somebody sparring (laughs) with me, that's, you know, even better. But usually it's just me dancing around my, my room with my sword or something.
2: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Which is awesome.
0: It Immerses you in the scene because then you're taking over that character and you're trying to figure (laughs) out exactly what it is they're doing. Right.
4: Right. I, I use the read aloud function on Word, so I'll I'll capture a paragraph or a page or whatever, and then I'll I'll go up to uh, I think it's under um, I, I forgot what it's under uh, in Word, but anyway they'll they'll read it aloud to you, and that really helps me because I can only read it so many times you know on the page, and then I don't see what I want to see.
1: Right. I don't
4: always hear what I want to hear, so then I let's you know the read aloud function read it. And it, I catch a lot of stuff that way.
0: Yeah. It's interesting how your brain knows what you meant to say, mm-hmm. how you meant to say it, but it doesn't always translate to the page. And then if you have somebody else read it or you have that read aloud feature, you're like, Oh, mm-hmm. no, 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 no. <laughs> it's not how that was supposed to work.
2: Put Joe's question back up there. Yep, yep, yep. I got to find it, it again. Sorry. Yeah. It's rolled up off mm-hmm. the screen. Yeah. How often, um, On edits,
1: <laughs> it's a funny question.
2: Probably always. <laughs> it's just the flow of the words. And the faster you're writing, the more you. I think the more you have to go back and, and clarify and, and edit it. It's not complete shit, but it's it's the faster moving pieces of the story that you have to step back and say, okay, you know, now I need to build on this yes, I was in the zone, but now I need to build on it. So it's not, it's just part of the process as you were asking later.
3: I once wrote a college paper, this was years ago, but I got, I I drank, I thought, let's see how we do, you know, when I'm a a little bit tipsy. So I got um, drunk and I wrote a lot, And I went back the next day and that really was total crap. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you're never going to be Hemingway. So that's a good thing. You know, it was like, I can, I can do this sober. Good.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I've done tipsy writing and, and those are usually the, um,
3: the more comedic scenes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're, they're so good. And then you look at them in the next day and you're like, no, that was bad. I don't
2: know, it's it's so serious. Serious scene, not a laughable scene. Come on.
4: <laughs> I, I, I think it is important to to be able to write crap sometimes. Yes. Just so you can get it out there and, and expose it and yeah. then deal with it and realize, wow, that was just that doesn't work. So it's not fun but it does, it does happen. And, and it's, you know, you can catch it yourself. If you have a reader or somebody that's helping you or like when you're writing a theater play and the director says, that's crap, you know, that doesn't work.
1: <laughs> then you
4: have to, you know, obviously make do something with it. But um, I think maybe writing crap is not such a bad thing sometimes.
0: No, I, I agree with you there. I, I call it word spewing. And, and a lot yeah. of times it, it goes along with sprinting and it's, it's an exercise in, just shutting off the self-editor and getting an idea on the page in whatever form it comes right. because you're going to end up having to to revise it
2: later either way so just get it out and on the paper yeah finish mm-hmm. the book finish mm-hmm. it' go back and, and you know and I know we've said that before you know i I self-edit a little little bit along the way but I've learned <laughs> excuse me I've learned not to do that um because I need to get the whole story out. Right. Get it and, the- then, and then the layering right. afterwards.
4: Well, there's there's the famous story of the uh, historian, and now I can't remember his name, who was uh, doing mm-hmm. research to write the ultimate Pearl Harbor history.
2: Yeah.
4: And he kept collecting information and researching and collecting, but he didn't want to start writing until he had collected more information. And then the, then the guy died. Yeah. So yep. he never wrote it. <laughs> <So>. Yeah.
0: <clears throat> Yeah, just get it done. And and a lot mm-hmm. of times for for new authors that that becomes a necessary thing to tell them, because they'll get stuck on chapter two or three and it's just not perfect and it stops them from ever finishing the book, even mm-hmm. though they might have plotted it out already. They never get yeah. past that chapter because it's not perfect yet. Right. Yeah. It, it's and never it's going to be perfect thing. on the first go around. Allow yourself to write bad and at least get the story out there.
2: Then yeah. get the bones down. You can you can you know build from there. But if you never right. get bones down, you'll be stuck in this bad pattern of, oh, is this the right word?
3: You can
0: what's not on the page.
3: How many of you have a first manuscript that's total crap, but you finished it? And it's just, you hit the end. I mean, Mm -hmm. me too. Yeah. And I keep it, just to go back and remember, but I wrote to the end. So that was something, you know, that was the start. And I think that's important. So, you know, cool.
0: you it, it really is whether or not you end up publishing it. You know, what is it? Standard novel length is what? About 60 to 80,000 words? That's mm-hmm. a lot of words. Yeah. Yourself on the back if you get that far, you know? Right. right.
2: Absolutely.
4: That's you know. an accomplishment in and of itself. It really is. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I've written 10 plays and only two have been produced, but I still like the, the other eight. You know, I, I think they're maybe producible, but maybe not. But I'd like to. I like to look at them every once in a while and say, oh, yeah, I finished that. <laughs> yeah.
1: Exactly. I like
0: those I did it moments. <laughs> Motivation yeah. to keep going. You look back and go, I did it once. I can do it again.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yep. I, I counted the books that I have out. I have 50 now. Wow. Yes. Oh, That's my 50. goodness. Yep. Yeah. And I have 40 covers that I have to write to now. <laughs> Oh, wow. You
0: have a cover
2: problem, Jane. (laughs) Cover horror. (laughs) (laughs) Admittedly. (laughs) I haven't done any this year.
0: But at least you have motivation, uh, you know, or inspiration for things to write because the the cover... Mm -hmm. It's, you know, what is it, the picture, your picture's worth a uh, that I can
2: talk, picture's <laughs> worth a thousand words. Mm-hmm. Now I have to pick which is next. That's the problem. It's uh, <laughs> finish this and then what's next, but I don't necessarily have the same passion on the current that I do for that. So it's, I, I have to sort of channel that, um, which is interesting to do sometimes.
0: Now that brings up an interesting question when, uh, you know, When you're writing a book that you're passionate about, it's a lot easier to write, but let's say you're writing a book that you have to write, Mm -hmm. you're under contract, or whether it's a series that you really need to finish, and you're you're maybe not as excited about it as you were in the first few books, or maybe it's something for a job, like, you know, papers that need to be turned in, reports or whatever. How do you motivate yourself to get through and slog through the writing that's just not you're not feeling
2: yeah. well, it's getting to the end that's important and then taking a step back and then going back in after you've had a little distance to go okay and, and rereading it and getting excited about the story again that's mm. the beginning that's the beginning part of editing by the end of editing you hate everything yes <laughs> and that's when you
3: know it's done Tired <laughs> of it <laughs> yeah, that's tough. I mean, I switch between the different series just to keep it fresh so that I don't get so, you know, oh, another story and, and it bogs you down. I like to switch it up and keep moving mm-hmm. to a different series now. Let's go back over here and read and catch up and see where these characters are going um, just to keep that from happening.
2: I and love I doing series. Can show. I love doing series
3: yeah i like i just i can't say goodbye to characters so i like to keep going and you know as long as the conflict's there um then that works and you know you can keep it going but yeah when when you have to my worry is always if you get tired and you're feeling that you know slog i have to finish that it's gonna maybe not for you guys but it's going to show on the page for me it's going to be you know it's going to come out it's not going to have the excitement it's going to be boring and it's just you know and they'll say oh Ann must have had a deadline. She so had to get this done. You know, you see that in reviews time and again. Go, mm-hmm. well, mm-hmm. you must have phoned that ending in because the deadline came up.
1: And <laughs> I,
2: <laughs>
3: I, I don't want to ever, if I can help it, have that. But, you know, if it, your head's not in it and your heart's not in it, I don't know how you get past that. I haven't had to deal with that too much yet. So, fingers as, crossed.
0: Uh, as indie authors, I don't know if you guys have felt the pressure or not, but. A lot of of people are producing books so fast now that if you wait too long and you're a series author, you tend to, you know, out of sight, out of mind, and you're kind of forgotten by the time you, if you wait a year, which is traditionally how long it it takes for the next book to come out, at least in the traditional marketplace, that was acceptable. If you wait a year now, people, they've, you know, done three or four different series. Right and they've forgotten about your book and they don't have that same excitement, which makes the marketing a lot harder.
3: Right.
0: And, and getting that next book out and getting the excitement kicked back up again. So yeah. I don't know if you guys have felt the pressure, but I know uh, as a series writer and Jane, you and I did it with the last one, we put them out so fast so that yeah. there was no time. There was like 30 days between each book. Wow. So that we could get
2: it done. We, we, we did three books in six months. Wow.
1: So, wow, that's yeah. impressive.
2: Yeah. So, so, and I usually write about, I try to do four a year. Sometimes I do more. Um, But I've been slowing down because I'm writing, you know, I have this one thing that I'm doing fairy tale retellings. It's not a series. So I have to relearn the characters all, all, all again and then get into it. And, and it's standalones. And that, is difficult because oh. as I said, I love series. I love getting to know my characters and continuing. Yeah. You know, cause that's, and my, all my series are all interwoven. Mm-hmm. So they all sort of cross over and.
0: <laughs> See, now that's smart. Cause you can explore side characters a little more fully. Yeah. And they're, they're part of the world, which is kind of fun.
2: Until I kill them all. <laughs> <laughs> So we do have a murdering problem. With that. But they, don't always, they don't always stay dead. Yeah. Of <laughs> there <course we> go. <laughs> paranormal,
3: supernatural.
1: Yep. Yeah.
2: I write supernatural know. suspense. That's that's yeah. my you know my strong point. <laughs> so yeah. I
4: I, I kind of look at it, compare it to uh, like exercising. I I never want to do it, but once I start, I feel good about it. And then no. I'm glad I did it afterwards, you know, but you got to, it's like, I got to drag myself to do, do it. You know, I never like say, man, I just really want to go on a run right now. Or, a, well, for me now it's a jog or whatever, <laughs> but anyway, you know, but I, okay, I'll do it. And then I get, yeah, and then I feel good. So, mm-hmm. so just it. pushing yourself to do it. And, you right. know, I the only serious kind of thing I've done is the, the comic book actually that I just published last year which was 37 years in the making. There, there's something about never giving up. If you have an idea, stick with it. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah.
4: So 37 years, I started as a comic strip when I was in engineering school and then it, i left it for 37 years and I came back to it. But I finally published it as a comic book. And then now I'm writing the subsequent uh, you know issues of the comic book. So that's the only series I've ever done, uh, fiction anyway. Right. Uh, so the snark, you see him there somewhere behind me
1: Yep, like,
4: behind you. snark yeah so uh, mm-hmm. but I, I I love it I see what you're talking about I want I just keep wanting it to go on and on and on I, and the way I'm doing this comic book um, I work with a you know really good artist which is nice and you're talking about covers you're talking about art mm-hmm. I, I, I love art and I'm a frustrated comic book artist myself so I do sketches and I write the story out and I send it to the artist and then he does a great job with it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we were able to produce it. But I wanted to keep going. So yeah. We'll what
2: happens. <laughs> they become your friends. And you have their lives embedded in your head. And yeah. I, I always say, if I ever get Alzheimer's, I won't know who the hell I
3: am. <laughs> <laughs> they have all these lives. I think yeah. we'll have a lot of friends, Jane. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we for years. And they'll be all around us, just keeping us entertained with their lives
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that would be a great way to to go into dementia is just to go into your book world's part
2: yeah exactly yeah. And then like, are, are we actually gods making these horrible things to these people? <laughs> that's the other thought that comes to my head at times. It's like, oh, if if I'm really doing this to somebody, that's awful, <laughs> horrible, scary.
0: <laughs> and I just think it's the journalist approach. I'm 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 pulling from another
3: person's life. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting.
1: Yeah. I, I can
3: about looking through the keyhole, you know, peeking through and watching this whole thing go on, and then reporting mm-hmm. back what's happening through mm-hmm. the keyhole. little bit,
2: kind of neat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it sometimes
0: does feel like you know, almost a, a. It's not coming from you. You're you're getting the the information, the scenes from somewhere else, wherever that could be. And when you're writing, especially when you get that furious writing session oh. where you're just tearing through the pages and the scenes are playing out. It, it's, I don't know. I can't, I can't describe it. it. It doesn't feel like it's coming from within you. It's somewhere else. And you're just picking up on it like a radio tuner. Right. Yes.
4: Yeah. Well, the parapsychologists would call that a, you're picking up on the signal line of, <laughs> of a greater consciousness.
2: Hmm. So, That's interesting.
4: Some people have called it the muse, right? Same thing. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. yeah.
4: <laughs> and who knows what it actually is. I don't know if anybody knows, but we've all, if you're a writer, you've tapped into that. So
3: Right. Opening. So, Opening up more. Sure. Like with the paranormal, you have your skeptics, then you yeah. have your, you know, that are open to it, I think. Um, so learning how to open that up and, you know, Soak up and being able to share it, you know, back. It's, yeah. No, that's a whole different thing. I think it's you can soak it up, but you got to learn how to give it back, you know, or put it right. out for people to understand.
2: Yep. So, a question for all of you: If you had a chance to write about something completely different than your normal
3: genre, what would you want to write about? Hmm. Want- that is so weird because I've been thinking that for the last two weeks. Yeah. That question—it's like. <laughs> You're reading my mind, I <laughs> really have it, it, you know, it came up it and, it did. <laughs> and letting it go, what would I write? Yeah. That you're asking this, see now I feel deja vu and all the you know paranormal stuff coming <laughs> 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 yeah. in.
1: Th-
4: I think, and I don't know if, I guess it would be a screenplay, but it could be a book too, a, a romantic comedy. Hmm. I, that just seems very different than what I've written about. So it'd be interesting.
3: I, of, <laughs> I I like sometimes good ones um, historical romances. I mean, back, you know, yep. when back, you know, Scottish, all that. And it, it, what intimidates me about that is the amount of education, learning research that you have to do because I've seen the reviews on some of these books and the readers are often very knowledgeable. And they will call you on your mistakes if you have this wrong, wrong sword, wrong kind of bustle. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Um, and I, I find it really fun to read a lot of those, but it scares me the idea of doing it. But I daydream about. Wow, I wonder if I could write one of those someday. That's just one of. I mean, that's one thing I think would be. Maybe it's the challenge that I find interesting. Um, how, how would I do? How would I research that? Be fun researching. Yeah. All that history, right, Bruce? Mm-hmm. I know, there's,
4: yeah, I mean there's. I mean you could research forever and you, I mean, you're gonna make some little mistake. there's just no way to not do it and and there and people always sharpshoot you, you know, oh, yeah. people find out I'm a historian, they say, oh, really, okay, what happened in the year twelve
2: thirty eight
4: I don't know. some people lived, some people died, you know.
2: <laughs> they lived in rock huts. <laughs>
0: See, that's, when you, that's when you go and find beta readers who read within the genre that you're mm-hmm. trying to write so that they can help you spot those things. Yeah. because they there'll be a little bit more naturally tuned to it. Yeah. What
3: so, about you? What about you? You guys, Jane? I was gonna, Oh, I was going to ask Katie first, but Maybe. I don't
0: know. Cause as an indie, I can write whatever I want. And I, I tend to, mm-hmm. I, I add in the elements that I'm, I'm most interested in. So I, I've got a, a pen name where I write a little more racier stories. And then under my regular, um, just, I guess I'm urban fantasy across the board. So mm-hmm. it's, you know, I, you have the freedom as an indie to write what you
2: want. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I, I have one book that I want to write and it is historical fiction, but it's, yeah. World War, it's a World War II romance. Wow. And, I have, and I have pictures, I have diary entries, and everything from the time. It's about my grandparents. Oh and, yeah You know, so so I'm like, I even have the cover for that, but it's it's again, it's out of my wheelhouse because it's based on a true story. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> and and you know, it's not I can't make shit up. <laughs> oh, I like what a <laughs> am really here. good at. <laughs> <laughs> so. You know, it's that's really funny that you said historical fiction, historical
3: romance. I'm like, I know. There's something. I know. It's like we're sisters or or something. (laughs) Out because we have Uh, same
4: background, same
3: same
4: ambition. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, have you have you thought about you know uh, the film director uh, Werner Herzog? Mm -hmm. He. uh, he has he did documentaries and he got criticized because they say his documentaries are not all factual or whatever. And his his counter to that is brilliant. He said, "Well, I I deal with not the literal truth, but the ecstatic
1: truth.
4: Ecstatic yeah. truth. He says not not the not the uh, accountant's truth, but the ecstatic truth. The truth beyond the truth." Okay. So, which is, a, it's very cleverly, you know, the way he defends himself in these, yeah. he really ends it with that. He just doesn't listen to people anymore,
1: <laughs> especially
4: when he calls it an accountant's truth, you know, which doesn't sound very exciting. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> and wasn't it, it was uh, Alfred Hitchcock who said that, uh, what do you say, that drama is really just life with all the boring parts cut out, you know. So, yeah. Is that was it drama that he said or was it suspense? I can't remember. But anyway, I think it was. Hitchcock said that, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so ecstatic truth. Just just do those historical things. Do them. I think it would be
3: great.
0: We, yeah, Anita agrees with you here. Find a reasonable explanation. That's it.
3: Yeah. Come up with a, a reason why you did it. There you go. There. Yeah. You go. yeah. Well, I've often thought, what do we, what do we truly know? I mean, we know what was written, mm-hmm. but what do you know unless you went? If you were in that time. What do we know? What was really going on? I mean, because we know what's written about nowadays isn't always the truth, right? Right. Uh-huh. I, mean, I just have
2: I just have letters and and things like that, and yeah, letters, you know, and, and and my grandmother's diary on her side because she wasn't on the ship with my grandfather, so you know, it was just a lot of stuff. So I actually have lots of factual stuff. Oh wow. But I just have to get into
4: the, you know, love story. <laughs> right. well, I'll give you a dilemma that I had. I wrote a play about my parents in World War II, kind of loosely based on their experience living under Nazi occupation in Norway.
1: Mm-hmm. And
4: I had uh, a, an African-American actor that wanted to be in the play. I mean, he wanted to be in the play. Okay, well, how am I going to do this? So then I created a role for him of being a French foreign legion soldier that happened to be in Narvik during the time of the German invasion because the French foreign legion actually were there. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, the French foreign legion includes people from Africa because Mm -hmm. they they had people from their African colonies that were part of their foreign legion. So I I ran it by a professor of Norwegian history in a university in Norway and he said, "Well, there's no documented case of it." And I said, "Well, there's no document that says that it didn't happen either, right?"
1: Sure. So then sure. I
4: created this role for this guy, and he was perfect, and it was great, and you know,
1: <laughs> there you go. I was able yeah. to that fit him report.
4: in, and yeah, yeah. And he was very thankful and grateful because he wanted to be in the play. He mm. really
2: was. cool. So but it can be done. <laughs> we're almost at, oh, actually, we're, we're at time, but I want oh. to hear about Anne and, and Bruce's latest releases or what's coming up for you guys.
3: Bruce, you want to go first?
4: Oh, uh, well, uh, Trinity, Timeless Trinity, available on Amazon. The, it's the trilogy, completion of the trilogy of paranormal books, 89, in total, 89 paranormal stories ranging from ghosts to aliens. And, uh, and then my Snark comic book. Which is out there. And I'm actually working on Snark number two. So, yeah, that's it.
0: (laughs) Now, will it take 37 years for Snark two? Oh, God, I
4: hope (laughs) not. How old would I be? I'd be so
1: old. Yeah. (laughs)
3: Let's
2: not go (laughs) there.
0: Not
1: good.
3: Well, Stan Lee was doing movies pretty, you know, at a pretty old age, still in those movies doing his his cameo. You can do your cameo. Yeah. So Anne, what about you? I'm finishing up the 11th book in uh, the Deadwood Mystery series. And that's the one where it's a mix of mystery with paranormal. Interestingly, BookBub throws me into the supernatural category every time.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Cause you know, in BookBub, you can either pick paranormal romance or supernatural. Mm-hmm. So, suspense, yes. yeah supernatural which it it does you know based off what bruce talked about it it does fit in that as well so finishing that up to get that out at the end of may is the goal or somewhere in may have the release of that ebook and as well as then the print um and then i'm working my husband and i write a series called the deadwood undertaker series that is actually a prequel series to the big deadwood mystery series um back in old west deadwood so we're working on um, book three right now, he's doing all the hard work on that one, but getting book three up and going. And that is also supernatural occult, you know, mix of steps. Cause it's the same world. It's just, right. you know, a hundred plus years prior and what was going on. So that's exactly. kind of what's, what's going on here. Just as I said earlier to you guys through this whole mess, it's been, instead of, um, I've been able to just bury my head into the story, fortunately, and get words on the page and write, you know, the book will be about 130,000 words, which is typical for my big novels. So just writing through it all, trying not to look too much around at everything or read too many headlines and keep going forth with um, the story. Excellent.
2: Yeah, Back to you, Katie. Oops, that way. <laughs> <laughs> the next release coming up. <laughs> hmm? So Mine, you have
0: a release coming out soon. So
2: it's August, it's August at this point. I pushed it to August. Oh, okay, okay. So it was supposed to be July, but um, Grimm's daughter is coming out, and then and and that will have characters from our combined series in it. They'll actually show, you know, <laughs> a cameo in it. <laughs> so, fun. So I love
0: how you connect all of them, so that they are basically all in one giant world. Yes.
2: We're all
0: friends. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I guess that's it for us tonight. Thank you guys so much for hanging out with us. It's oh, been a thank you. And for all of our audience members out there, thanks for participating in the chat. You guys were really going at it today. <laughs> it was flying
3: <laughs> by faster than I could keep track of it. Thank you for having, having me on. This was fun. It was great to talk with you guys.
0: Yes, thank you. Thank you. You guys are welcome back anytime. Please just shoot us an email next time you're you're, uh, available, especially when you've got your book coming out. Okay. That way we can get you back on. And for everyone else out in the audience, hit that like button, hit the subscribe button, and we will see you next week with another live edition of Spilling Ink. Bye till then. Bye. Bye.